Revelation 21, and we're going to learn some beautiful things about when chaos will be no more. I was thinking this morning how beautiful it is that as believers in Christ, we don't have to wait for a calendar year to change to have a new start. You know, isn't it great? Lamentations 3.23 says that the mercies of the Lord are new every morning. Every morning we get a fresh start with the God that created us. And this morning we can celebrate that truth as we come to the Word of God and we think about what He has to say to us when chaos will be no more. When my, when my wife is looking for a novel in a bookstore or at the library, she has a really interesting habit. She always goes to the very last page and reads what happens at the end. And that drives me crazy because if I read a book, I like to be surprised all the way through, but not Carla. She, she loves to, to, to read the last page. And the reason why she does this is that she wants to know if the story's worth reading in the first place. Well, that's a unique little trait of hers. And this morning, that's kind of what we're going to do when we come to Revelation 21. We're going to be looking, actually reading the last scene of God's revelation to us. And hopefully it convinces us that this is a story worth reading from the very beginning. And in fact, just as a little reminder, since it's the first day of the new year, and by the way, you've done pretty good by getting to church today, that's a good start to the new year. And even better, if you will take every day this year and be in God's Word. You can read through the Bible in a year very easily. And the point is, it's not a race, it's not a ritual, but it can be a real blessing in your life. In fact, the book we're looking at this morning, Revelation chapter 1, verse 3, we'll put it on the screen. Check this out. Let's read this together as a response reading. Let's read it together. Ready? Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. Do you get that? When you read this book and you heed what's here, you're blessed. How many want to be blessed in 2017? I do. And this is the key right here. God's Word, reading God's Word and heeding what God's Word has to say. I know some of us push away from the book of Revelation. It's not an easy book to understand, we think, and so we push away. Lots of prophecy, simile, a lot of things that are hard, metaphors, and so forth, and what does it all mean? The central meaning of the book of Revelation is simply this. Jesus is coming back. He's going to judge the world. He's going to set up his kingdom, and there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. He's going to make all things new. That's the message of the book of Revelation, and that's why you get blessed when you read it, because when you look at earth and what's going on here on the earth and what's going on in our lives, if that's where our focus is, oh my goodness, Tim, we get discouraged, right? But it's a whole different game when all of a sudden you get your eyes on what's coming and what God has promised for his people. Today we're going to get a heavenly vision for our lives, and I believe that's the vision we need all year long. So let's begin reading in chapter 21, and we're going to read verses 1 through 8, and then we're going to drop down to verse 22 and finish the chapter. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. 
There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Then verses 9 through 21 are a a picture of this heavenly city, which we'll come back to and we'll look at, but let's drop to verse 22, please. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. No more chaos. Okay, I want you to see a few things in this text this morning. And just right up at the start, I want you to see that John, who is writing this, John, that also wrote the Gospel of John, uh, one of our Lord Jesus Christ's closest disciples on the island of Patmos, received this amazing vision that we have recorded here in the book of Revelation. And here in chapter 21, I want you to see that, first of all, the Apostle John sees something. Do you see that in verses 1 and 2? Then he hears something, verses 3 and 4. Then he's called on God to believe something, write something, verses 5 and 6, and finally to understand something, verses 7 and 8. Those little operative words or uh, phrases will sort of guide our teaching time as we go through this text this morning. Something to see, something to hear, something to believe, and something to understand. And we'll see this as we start walking through. And all of this is encompassed in this idea of a heavenly vision. So if you're taking notes, here's something that God wants all of us to see. First day of the new year, God wants us to see a fresh vision of heaven. Say that with me, a fresh vision vision of heaven. This is what God wants us to see. We all need a fresh vision of heaven every day and throughout this year. Why? Because life down here can really be extremely difficult. Some of us are looking back on 2016 and we are just hoping and praying that 2017 won't have the difficulty that last year had. Well, maybe it won't, but maybe it will even be worse. Aren't you glad you came to church today? You know, we don't know what God has for us this year. And of course, we know that life in this world is going to be hard. It's going to be troublesome. You know, last week, Christmas Sunday, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Hillier, Lloyd and Mary sat right up there where they always sit in the balcony area. They went home, had their Christmas time together. Early evening, last Sunday afternoon, Christmas Day, Mary went home to be with the Lord. Lloyd's here this morning with his two daughters. We love you, Lloyd. We're praying for you. 
services, I think, this Saturday, 11 o'clock, if you want to come and just remember this beautiful woman that served the Lord, who's home with the Lord, last Sunday in church, Sunday morning, Christmas morning, and then Sunday evening, home with the Lord. Now, that's the that's a, that's a difficult thing for a family and yet a glorious thing. And you know, that story was repeated many other times. Another dear family in our church, uh, the Wincups, uh, Wincoop actually, I'm sorry, Hazel went home to be with the Lord last Christmas Eve. They serve over here in our Cross Streets ministry and just, she'd been battling with cancer and had the opportunity to see her just a few days before she passed. Christmas Eve, she goes home to be with the Lord. Her service this week, this Thursday. God is amazing. It's difficult. This world is difficult. There's pain. There's sorrow. We were getting ready to have our Christmas dinner last Sunday afternoon, and I got dispatched from Alameda County Fire. There's a family right across town whose grandmother came for dinner. She wasn't feeling well, laid down. She passed away. It was a really tough thing for the family because they were just, oh, they were so upset. This was Christmas Day. I walk in the house, I don't know this family, they're all in their warrior gear, they've been watching the game, and they're just in tears, their loved one is gone. You know, this is the way life is sometimes, the highs and the lows, the things that we think we're prepared for, and then all of a sudden, boom, it's just so different. But you know, as I read this passage, there's something I saw here that I had never seen before. It has to do with the context of the passage. If you look just up in verse of chapter 20, beginning in verse 11, you see this story of the great white throne. And even before that, Satan's doom and all these crazy things that are going on. This is the judgment where death and Hades are thrown into the lake of fire. And it struck me that John's vision of heaven comes on the heels of seeing the great judgment of this world. The context of chapter 21 is recognizing that there is a whole lot of mess that God is going to clear up in the end of chapter 20. And all of that reminds me that in the context of what we're reading here this morning, that on the heels of hard times, God wants to give us the beautiful vision of heaven and what heaven is about. Notice that John says here that this new heaven and new earth will be because the first heaven and the first earth has passed away, and there's no longer any sea. Now, any of you ocean lovers out there might be a little perturbed when you see that, but actually, that's one of the metaphors that we read in the book of Revelation, that whenever there's a reference to the sea, it's a picture of the evil of this world. Back in chapter 13, the beast comes up out of the sea. It's a picture of the evil that resides in this world. And where God says to his people that there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth and there's no longer any sea, that's a capital word of no more chaos, no more disruption, no more uh, uh, discontinuity with what God wants to do in us and through us as his people. He emerges from the, from the beauty of, of uh, what was once dark and chaotic, he brings out the emergence of a new heaven and a new earth where there is no more chaos. One day, God will summarily deal with all of the chaos of this world. If you're taking notes, you might want to just write this down. Heaven is God's final answer to the chaos in our world. Aren't you glad? There is a final answer. It seems so unrelenting at times. Open up this morning the newspaper and what are you reading about? You know, bombs going off in places, shooters going into places, 
that's the world we're living in, the terrorism, the, the hate. This world is such a mess, and while there's all kinds of people that want to do good in this world, and thank the Lord for people that want to do good in this world, as long as the system of this world is as it is, there is going to be evil and destruction, and only God himself, through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, is going to right the ship. And God wants to remind us of this. This is why we find such a powerful treatment of this as we come to the end of God's revelation, and here in John's revelation specifically. He wants us to ponder it in our hearts. He wants us to think about it daily. It's like, you remember when Jesus was getting ready to leave the earth, and in John 14, he's got his disciples together, and they just found out he's leaving them, and you remember he says in John 14, he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I'm going there to prepare a place for you, that where I am, there you may be also. And then you remember one, you know, one of the 12, Jesus said, uh, and you know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? And you remember, let's say it together. Jesus said, Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus was warning his disciples and telling them that they didn't need to worry about all this stuff down here because he was the way, he was the truth, he is the way, the truth, and the life. You're looking for life, you find it in Jesus. You're looking for the way, you'll find it in Jesus. You're looking for truth, you will find it in Jesus. And that's why God wants us to have a heavenly vision in fact, this is maybe what motivated the, the Apostle Paul, where he wrote in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Let's read that one out loud together. You ready? Here we go. Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. A few weeks ago, we looked at Peter's exhortation in 2 Peter uh, chapter 3, where he writes, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy lives and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt with heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. Peter says, New Testament believer, Focus on what's coming. Getting a glimpse of our future glory in heaven and knowing that the world as we know it is going to be burned up, we should be marked by holiness and godliness. I had a friend growing up who, who just latched onto this principle and every time someone in his family or someone around him purchased something really expensive or something that had big value, he would always compliment them, oh, that's beautiful, that's great. And then he would say, it's gonna burn. That's what he would say. He just is a little quip that always came out. Hey, how do you like my new car? Oh, that's awesome. It's going to burn. <laughs> and he just always had, you know, it was humorous, and he said it humorously, but not everybody always enjoyed the humor, you know. But it's a reminder to us that everything we have, everything in this world, everything that we value of material possession is going to one day be wiped out. It's going to be gone. It's going to be burned up. That's what 2 Peter 3 is talking about. That's what Jesus tells us here in his revelation, in Revelation 21, that there's going to be a day where there is a new heaven and a new earth for the, 
for the old heaven and the old earth is going to be burned up. That's amazing. As beautiful as this world is, God is going to do something brand new. And I think that that's a good thing to think about and focus on on this first day of the year. There's also something that we need to hear in this passage. There's something God wants us to see, something God wants us to hear. And what he wants us to hear, verses 3 and 4, is that his presence is real now, but someday he's going to take away all of our tears. I love this. This section at the end of this chapter and at the end of this chapter points to the amazing presence of God among his people. Notice verse 3. Look at it there right in your Bibles. Now the dwelling of God is with men. The word in the Greek, dwelling, skene. It's an interesting word because it describes the manifest presence of God. A personal presence. You know, since Genesis 3, the presence of God was not to be assumed or just found by anyone that wanted it. Uh, to experience the presence of God. First, there was an ark that was the manifest presence of God. Then there was a tabernacle, and within the tabernacle, the ark and the holy of holies. And then there was a temple that was the manifest presence of God. And then God comes, and literally the word, John chapter 1, he tabernacles among us. God's presence made manifest in Jesus Christ, walking the face of the earth, and then crucified and ascended to heaven, but given us the Spirit of God whereby His presence would be felt and among us as we sojourn on this planet for this temporary period of time. But one day, all the barriers, all the hindrances, all the reflections and things that we see only in a mirror dimly now are going to be removed, and the manifest presence of God will be with us as we have never known it before. During the millennial kingdom, I like in Ezekiel 48, 35, Jerusalem is given a new name. His, the name of Jerusalem in the millennial kingdom is the Lord is there. I love that. The Lord is there. Remember when we study the compound names of Jehovah? Jehovah Shammah, the presence of the Lord, the Lord who is there. Now we know the presence of the Lord now. It's a beautiful thing. Every day I'm reminded of his presence when I read his word. He speaks to me. He reveals himself to me in intimacy and beauty. Uh, friends, dear friends, through a text or through an email or through a conversation can remind me of the presence of the Lord. My family can remind me of the presence of the Lord. Being here today with God's people Singing his praises can be a reminder of the presence and experience the presence of the Lord. I don't know how many times I meet people on a Sunday when I leave out and I'm standing out in the lobby and someone will come up with tears in their eyes still and they're saying, this morning God just met me so powerfully. Isn't it beautiful that God meets us, that God's presence is with us? He's with us in difficult moments. He's with us in joy. He's never not with us. And sometimes we just experience that manifest presence in a, in a beautiful way. And that presence, of course, includes the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ, where he says in John 14 through 16, he says, I will not be with you in the same way, but I'm sending my, my, the paraclete, the helper, the Holy Spirit, who will live in you and be with you. 
But here in Revelation chapter 21, we've got this beautiful picture and look over at verse 24 where it says the nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. Speaking about the presence of God, this crescendo, this old order of things, verse 4, that has passed away. You may want to write this down. Chaos is one day going away forever. Chaos is going away forever. I'm pumped about this. What a sweet picture of God's presence among his people. I'm tired of the bad tears, aren't you? I mean, it's great to, to cry. Crying can be a very healing thing. But there's just too many bad tears in our world. Tears of regret, tears of lament, tears of sorrow, tears of lost opportunities, tears of loss. I mean, the, the, the words go on and on and on, and I can't even put them into the kind of words I would like to, but we all know what it's like to have tears, the bad tears, tears that come from the pain and sorrow of this world, too many people crying. It starts when you're seconds old. You know, we, uh, we witnessed the birth of our, well, we didn't witness the birth of our grandchild this year, but we, we were just a few minutes after the birth, and we were in the room after our daughter Carrie and her husband Roman were celebrating the life of this little guy, little Jack Archer. He's such a beautiful little boy, but you know, in the first few minutes of his life, he's crying already. The other day he was over, he's now about five months old, and he was, we were watching him, my wife and I were just having a beautiful day together and just they, Carrie was out being with a friend and so we had little Jack all to ourselves and, and I'm walking around with little Jack and he's a happy little guy. He just usually just big smiles on his face but that, something sets him off, I don't know. And he starts crying, I call it the lip, he gives me the lip, you know, suddenly the lip goes down and just crocodile tears and the tears and and I'm just holding it I'm looking at it my wife and I and you know when your kids cry you know you're like oh no what's wrong but when your grandkids cry you just smile it's just cute you know (laughs) and I'm thinking what are you crying about you've got everything you've got life you've got food you've got comfort you don't even have to walk man you just get carried (laughs) everywhere but we look at his little face and we see those tears coming down his cheeks, and I can't get into his little head and find out why he's, maybe he dismisses his mom, maybe he's hungry, maybe, well, who knows? But what a harbinger of what's coming in his life. Tears, sorrow, heartache. <laughs> it's the human experience. And as I read Revelation 21, I love the fact that God says there will be no more death, mourning, or crying, or pain. Chaos will be removed forever. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God wants us to see something. He wants us to hear something. He also wants us to believe something. He wants us to believe something. And here in verses 5 and 6, there's this beautiful thing about God making something new, making everything new. This is what he wants us to believe. Notice John is told to write something down, and he's told... To write down, I'm making everything new. And then verse 6, God says, it is done. What's done? The new creation. It's the same word 
declared when God's judgment on the world was completed. If you go back to chapter 16, verse 17 of Revelation, it says this, the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, this is a bowl of wrath, and out of the temple came a loud voice from the throne saying, it is done. There comes a place where God says, the one who is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, says, this is so. And I want to ask you the question, do we believe it? Do we believe that chaos will finally give way to a new creation, that heaven is for real? And then John goes into this lengthy discussion, verses 9 through 21, of the description of heaven. Uh, it's, it's pictured for us as a city coming down out of heaven. And nowhere in the revelation of John or anywhere in the Bible do we have more of a description than we have right here of this heavenly city. That if we were to map it out in its size and dimensions, it would be a cube, most believe, scholars believe, a cube of 1,400 square miles. 1,400 miles this way, 1,400 miles that way, 1,400 miles that way. That's a giant place. And that's heaven proper. It comes from heaven. It rests over the planet while God destroys all things and brings all things new. It never says that it actually comes to rest upon the earth. Most scholars, biblical scholars, believe that that is the abode of the believer in Christ when we leave this world in the rapture before Christ comes to judge the world. This is our heavenly home. Jesus, John 14, I'm going to prepare a place. I'm building it now. He's building it now. And if the dimensions are, and the Bible says right here, these are human dimensions that God is using for us. And then this amazing the stones and the gates and all the jewels and precious stones, the translucence, uh, if that's a word even, the, the, the translucent look of the city, the pure gold and all the, the crystal and, and just, we can't even describe it, really. John does his best to describe it as he does here. And I don't know, I'm going to throw a couple things out here. What is John really getting at here? Um, do you know that the cube of 1,400 miles is really what I, th what I think is going on here is a reminder to us of the way God first established his presence in the tabernacle, which was a 15 foot by 15 foot square, and then later in the temple where it was 20 by 20 feet where God's manifest presence was, where the high priest went in. And here in the new heaven... And the new earth, this city of God, is 1,400 miles square, which just to me shows the magnificence of God's ultimate presence among his people. This is a picture, I think, of God's splendor and glory shown in his presence among his people. And I don't want to get bogged down in it. I can't, you know, we can't really speak with a lot of authority on what all of that is going to be like. But we know this from Romans 8, that we know that the whole creation has been groaning and is in pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, excuse me, Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. We're still groaning, waiting for that amazing, ultimate outline and outlay of God's manifest presence among his people where he is going to take chaos away forever with a new creation. He wants us to see this, he wants us to hear it, and he wants us to believe it. And that's a great start to any new year. Last thing I want to show you in this passage, verses 6 through 8, that there's something God wants us to understand. And this is, this is a beautiful way to kind of wrap this little 
passage up because in verses 6 through 8, what we discover here is the offer of salvation, God's offer of salvation. I love verse 6, to him who is thirsty. Such a fitting metaphor for what happens when we realize we need Jesus. We get thirsty, and there's nothing like a tall glass of cool, clear water on a hot day when we need our thirst to be quenched. And notice that God frames his offer in salvation this way. All we have to do is come and drink of the water. If you're taking notes, I want you to see this. It's free to all who are thirsty and come to drink from the water of life. It's free. This is similar to the words that Jesus used when he spoke to the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. Remember that? If you knew the gift of God and who it is who asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Verse 10, Jesus continues, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Back to Revelation 21, what we learn from what we read here in verse 7 is that those who drink of this water will experience the unbridled joy of true relationship with the living God. Notice verse 7, I will be his God and he will be my son or my daughter. What a promise. Have you responded? You know, it's amazing. There are thirsty people all around us. I wonder if we know that. Thirsty people all around us. I was uh, exercising at the gym this week and uh, playing a little pickup basketball with some guys I didn't know. And at the end of the game, talking to one guy, he says, hey, are you the pastor at Three Crosses? I said, yeah. He goes, well, I visited there a few times. And he started telling me a little bit about his life. And I said, you got a few minutes? Let's sit down and talk. So we sat down there at the gym, right down there at Bayfair, 24-hour. And he opened his heart to me. He just said, you know, my life is a wreck I got this and that, I'm out of a job, I lost my house, I've been through a divorce. My six-year-old daughter, you know, told me the other day, Daddy, when are you going to get your life on track? Six-year-old daughter says that to him. And with tears, choking back tears in his eyes, he goes, my life is a mess. I go, do you know about Jesus? He goes, well, I've heard about him, I've been to church. I was on the bus the other day and a woman just gave me the gospel and reminded me that I needed Jesus. She got off the bus and I sat there thinking, yeah, I need Jesus. I go, yeah, you need Jesus. What's keeping you today from giving your life to Jesus? He goes, absolutely nothing. I said, well, then let's do that. He goes, I would love to. I said, you do it in your own words. It was the most beautiful prayer, just a beautiful prayer. We finished. I prayed over him. Shane, welcome. Welcome to the family of God. Beautiful little moment. He said, I'm going to be in church on Sunday. I don't know if you're here, Shane. Maybe next service, maybe this service. I'm going to be in the lobby afterwards. Welcome to the family of God. Welcome to your family, God's people. And the great news is this. When you get thirsty, there's some, something to drink. And it's, it's a, a drink that will truly satisfy. There were a lot of people drinking last night. but a drink that does not satisfy. Jesus offers a drink that satisfies. But the reality of this offer is that it's also withheld from all who don't believe. Verse 8, verse 27, the adjectives that describe the unbeliever here are not exhaustive. Notice that unbelief is lumped right in with the sins that we consider so awful, sexual immorality and all the rest of it. 
But notice even more that those who describe this way experience, or describe this way, experience the second death. I don't know about you, but I don't really want to die. I'm just going to be honest with you here. Uh, I'd rather avoid death. And I'm praying the rapture would happen so I don't have to go through death. That would be really cool. But chances are we're going to go through death. But if you are a believer in Christ, you will only go through death once. I'm not afraid to die. I believe that my relationship with Christ, because I believe his words, that absent from the body, home with the Lord, leaving this world, I just don't want to go through the process of death. You follow what I'm saying? But most likely I will. The reality is this, though. If you don't know Christ, you're not only going to die in this life, but you're going to go through a second death. The Bible says the second death is when we're thrown into the eternal lake of fire. I know we don't like really talking about hell, but you know, that's a common word in our culture these days. A teenager from this church a few weeks ago walked out of the church and said, Pastor, that was a hella great sermon. He said that to me. I had to think about that for a minute. <laughs> you know, we use the word hell in, in a slang that describes great things. Had to do a little discipleship in that moment with that young man. But the point is, Satan's desire is for all of us to, to, to uh, um, lower and take away the reality and the stunning reality of hell and to commonize it and make it a, a, a frame and a term that just is goofy and fun. Don't use that word in such a flippant way. It's a word that describes the anguish of multitudes of people for eternity. God wants us to God wants us to know, if you want to write this down, chaos will be dealt with forever by trusting in Jesus Christ right now. God's antidote for the chaos of this world is to believe. And right here, right now, right now, today, if you have never come to the place of believing in Christ, you can trust in Him today, right now. Something to see, something to hear something to believe and something to understand. And I think if we just grasp these things in our hearts all year long, it will be a year that at the end we can say, God, thank you. Thank you. Let's go to the Lord right now.